date said I didn't come this far but only come this far oh Tom Brady how right you are you speaker of truths you leader of leaders welcome to the Boston podcast everybody this is your host David Yaz and uh, happy new year everybody those are the uh, compelling words of your quarterback Tom Brady talking about the upcoming game in the playoffs against the Kansas City Chiefs um, and uh, hope you're looking forward to it like like I am we have a great show for you today on the Boston podcast we're gonna talk to veteran restaurateur Chris Spinozola who is a um, fantastic guy he's owned restaurants he's operated restaurants he knows just about everybody in town knows the food scene knows the Boston scene happens to be my uncle but that's uh, kind of irrelevant to this conversation um, thanks for joining us on the Boston podcast all past episodes located at the Boston and this is the a start of a string of uh, podcasts that will continue throughout the year uh, we'll post them once a week probably every Wednesday and uh, if you like us hit like hit subscribe hit basically anything good that you can see on the screen in front of you or on your phone or what have you we thank you for listening that is quite enough of my babbling and uh, let's start the show this one's for you Boston Boston's a different city than it was 20 years ago the hope rises again and the dream lives on Larry Bird's not walking through that door fans the world will return to this great American city to run harder than ever and to cheer even louder this is our f***ing city yes it's our city it's our podcast it's our favorite time of year the Patriots are playing the weather's great and you are witnessing and listening to sort of a relaunch and a, a re-animation uh, and a rebirth of the Boston podcast, formerly known as Unbillable Boston, the, the dumb name that Max talked me into the first time around. And it, was just, it was just before it's time. That's it, all. Right. So it'll, it'll come back again. Never, I hope. Um, so I'm David Yaz, your host. Uh, per usual, that hasn't changed. Max Perlman is here, uh, employment lawyer at Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP, right here in the heart of downtown Boston. Lovely day out today. We've got a terrific guest. He happens to be a family of mine, my uncle Chris, Chris Spinozola, but to the city of Boston and to the state of Massachusetts and to many others, he's, he's legendary when it comes to the restaurant business, when it comes to charity in this town, when it comes to uh, people to know. and. Um, we might even try to um, stump him and, and see what celebrity name he can't drop. Actually, you know what? We have, if you could bring that in, yeah, we have, um, we have a vacuum cleaner here, Chris. So when you drop all the names, we can just run that on the, on the carpet afterwards. Um, and we, used, we used it after your wife was here. Yeah. yeah. She does right. a pretty good job with that. Yeah. She did too, actually, now that I think about it. Except her problem is a lot of them are people you've never heard of. Well, you know, representatives, <laughs> Leonardi and representatives. Oh, Dave, you remember it. No, I don't, Marge. I don't remember any of those people. Yeah, so Margie Claprude, that was. Correct. So that's uh, Margie Claprude, uh, legend um, of media and politics and snarkiness and sarcasm. Um, maybe not snarkiness, but definitely sarcasm. So, Chris, 
Welcome to the Boston Podcast. How do you feel? I feel great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, well, you're welcome. Uh, so the most important thing we need to talk about is um, uh, the, what happened over the weekend when Chris and I got to see each other. Because my son, Griffin, is now a man. In, in the eyes of uh, Judaism, in the, in the eyes of the state of Israel. He turned 13 and he became a bar mitzvah. And uh, Chris was there to witness it. How do you think he, he did? I think he did amazing. Yeah, yeah he was, uh, he's a special kid, but he's, his, uh, his grace and his poise, yeah. uh, pretty amazing. It was cool. Max is supposed to be there. Got called away. Family emergency. Sorry about that, Max. We'll we'll get the we'll, we'll send you the whole photo album. Sorry, he couldn't but, be there. But uh, he uh, and then so we had the reception at uh, CBS scene, you know, at Patriot Place, and um, ninety-two of his closest friends. Now, Griffin has ninety-two friends. Now I went back and looked at my bar mitzvah. I had twenty-two kids. Twenty-two. He is 92. And I don't know, like, how does he even remember? You have at least that? half that now. <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah. On Facebook. And, 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 and the number is shrinking every day. But, you know, um, it's, uh, it's a weird scene, you know. And it's also at an age where the kids, a lot of the girls are taller than the boys. Oh, yeah. And a couple of my friends kept coming over. And this is the age where you start to feel a little bit like a dirty old man because the, the the girls are developing and the things i mean some of they're wearing are pretty uh how would you say not quite revealing but definitely a little too chic for everyone's good as your brother said this is this ain't the sheridan mansfield <laughs> <laughs> right right this is where we got bar mitzvah yeah so um so let's start let's start at the beginning chris uh, wow. born born a uh, <laughs> uh enterprising young man in in, in revere revere right? master revere, yeah. revere right yeah. And um, so many around town know this, but for those that don't, Anthony Spitazola, your dad, who um, passed away in, I want to say, 85, Correct. thereabouts, um, he was a Boston Globe food critic for many years, uh, about, 20 years. about 20 years, 20 years, okay. And um, so he and your mom would go around to, uh, furtively, to yes. do restaurants yes. all around the state. Yeah. And they would. Um, and so, were you aware that your dad was writing columns for the Boston Globe? Were you uh, uh, aware that your dad was a big deal? Or when, uh, did, when did you? When did the I day? think we were late teens. We began to understand because we started going out to restaurants, uh, or he would be taking us out to restaurants. We didn't go out with him as often as my mother did. Mm -hmm. uh, but if there was a special family thing, uh, or if uh, one of us was had a big birthday, and all of a sudden you had reservations at the Ritz Carlton and had four <laughs> people clamoring all over you. Uh, it was a, it was it was great that we we got to understand what he was doing. He was also somebody who was fairly undisciplined in his writing, so he had this old typewriter and he would sit at the kitchen table and write his column the night before it was due. Like, <laughs> you know, he'd be up at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and he could hear that typewriter going. Uh, people didn't know they knew him as a food critic for the Globe, but he actually got a start. He was um, journalism major at BU. And he started in small-town newspapers, uh, working his way up from photographer to editor uh, uh, from the South Shore Mirror. He went down to New Britain, Connecticut, at the Philadelphia Inquirer, came back as the assistant Sunday editor of the Boston Globe, uh, and then went on to become Sunday editor, mm -hmm. and then Globe magazine editor. Uh, so uh, people didn't know that he had that much uh, journalistic experience. While he was at assistant Sunday editor, Tom Winship, then the famous Boston sure. Globe editor, came to him and said, Hey, we're thinking of doing this little, uh, uh, having a restaurant review column. Would you have any interest? Because I know it's your passion yours. Now, my father truly loved food and loved writing and learning about food and wine. But he was, um, he also worked in kitchens because he had five kids. We're all in private high schools. Uh, and he worked two nights a week. Did you, I, I don't know this. Where did you go to? I went to BCI. 
Okay. Did, uh, did uh, David went to UCI and, okay. and the yeah. girls went to uh, Pope John in Everett. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, it was a big thing with my dad was education. So sure. Uh, and uh, he started writing this restaurant column that just took off. Like this was 1969, uh, and and that was a time when uh, so much has changed about the industry. That was a time when the person who owned the restaurant was the gentleman or the lady standing out front. Right. And the cooks were in the back, and nobody knew who they were. Mm-hmm. And the, right. the, the restaurants were changing because now. All of a sudden, Jasper's restaurant meant that Jasper, who was the head chef, who was behind the kitchen doors, actually had a name on the, on the restaurant, was the chef owner. Right. Uh, and it was a totally different time. And Jimmy's Harborside. Jimmy's Harborside. Like Anthony's Pier 4. Sure. Yeah. So I was, I was out with you and Marge one night, and I forget what we were doing, but we were heading home. And I was, I think, probably heading to my car, which I parked in you know, on the seventh level of like the government center parking garage or something. You walked right up to the Bostonian hotel and two dudes come out and say, Chris, how are you? Why are you? you? We got your car right here. Not, not only was it ready to go, it was basically like the only car right in front of the hotel. And they, I said, they detailed it for him. And <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. And you, and this happens at a few. So tell me, is that, I think you told me that night that was a lesson from your dad. Is uh, that true? You told me that. Um, I used to meet him for lunch about once a month. This is when I, when I was so I was in my twenties, my late twenties, and he had a, he he drove this 1972 Buick Skylark, banged up in the back and the front, um, and we would go to the best restaurants. He would take me to the best restaurant in the city. So Les Balliers at one time when it was on sure. Gloucester Street, still doing lunch, and I would go to meet him at Les Balliers, and I would drive around for I don't know four hours looking for a parking meter, right. uh, and then inevitably, just no matter what restaurant we went to, no matter how bad the parking was, I would. Pull in, I'd finally get my space. I'd walk 100 blocks to the restaurant. I'd pull up, and that gray Skylock was parked right out front every time, no matter what restaurant it was. <laughs> so it would be like a Mercedes, Mercedes, and a Chris, Skylark. stop hitting the table. We went oh, over this right. beforehand. Chris is hitting uh, the table for emphasis. Sorry. So, um, I'm telling you. That's okay. I know, I know, I know. So we... Uh, uh, aim, aim someplace else. Yeah. Go ahead. We, uh, so I, uh, he finally said to me, I said to him, how, how, how do you park so close? He said... So let me tell you, you drove around for an hour looking for a parking space, right? Or you park in that garage and it's going to cost you 20 bucks in the garage. He says, so I, I pull up and I give the guy out front 20 bucks. Right. And then I engage him in some small talk and I become his best friend. And so if you learn nothing from me, learn that the valets <laughs> and the doormen are the most important men and people in the city. And if you take care of them, they're going to always take care of you. So That's a wonderful way of looking yeah. at it. You know, what, what would you rather? Would you rather spend 20 bucks and just... And, or yeah, what you do, what you do instead is you drive around for twenty minutes and end up paying twenty bucks or thirty bucks these days or whatever, right? Well, the, right. we used to do when Spinazzola was yeah. going on. We used to, I used to at Christmas, I used to get a couple of cases of wine, yeah. throw it in the back of the car, and I would go to every doorman in the city that I knew, uh, and I would make sure they got a, a, a gift for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But they also, when we did the event, we used to have we used to have every major hotel send their one of their premier doormen to the event. And they would hold the doors open for all our VIPs. Mm-hmm. So they'd be dressed in full uniform of, of the Ritz and the Colonnade. What a great uh, idea. Yeah. And then in, in return, once the uh, VIP was over, they would get to bring their wives or significant others to the event uh, on us. Uh, and it was, it was a great way to, to, they really do control real estate in the city. And it's like, for them, it's five spaces, six spaces. Yeah. So they're like landlords. Mm-hmm. So if you take care of them and you respect that, um, they'll take very good care of you. And if you don't, You'll you'll no matter what you do, you're not going to get a parking space. See, see, I think that's a that's a lesson that I think still holds true. I mean, in, in this day and age where people try to get ahead by you know doing um, you know these these elaborate marketing campaigns and things uh, on social media and things like that, 
you're talking about a really old-fashioned way of building a reputation, right? I mean, oh, sure. I, I'm being, a, I'm going a little uh, philosophical off the rails here, but um, people know people in the legal community. People always say, "I know everybody." I, I'm always stunned at how how well you know everybody in town, and I think the way you've done it is just old-fashioned, um, you know, kindness. I mean, it, is is yeah. that right? Would Holding you say on to your own skirts. <laughs> she's she's yeah. the one who uh, uh yeah i i think so i think uh i i think your son uh, touched on that the other night about uh, oh from the, from the from the yeah yeah from the bema it's about yeah. being kind to people yeah. i think my father did that um mm-hmm. uh there was two great examples of it uh, in my mind one was at his wake uh you know he had hundreds of people coming to his wake and some of them were the best restaurateurs in the city and uh, just it was a wide variety of people but two guys came walking through the wake and they were dressed in the Globe Pressman clothes, mm-hmm. just right from work. Uh, and they came up and they paid respects and they walked over and they grabbed my hand and they pulled me out of the line and they said, we just wanted to tell you something. He said, your father was the only editor in the Boston Globe, in the history of the Globe, allowed in the press room. Wow. Because he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And he treated us with tremendous respect. Mm-hmm. And so we had to come here f- for him for that. Um, and that, that, uh, that spoke volumes to me about you know remembering uh, that anybody that you're dealing with from the doorman to uh, the secretary out front to everybody from the guy who's washing dishes right. you know if you worked in my kitchen and you disrespected my dishwasher uh, you would be gone in, in a heartbeat mm-hmm. uh, because they were the hottest working dudes in the, in the place mm-hmm. so I, I, I think being kind it doesn't take that it's not that hard to do and I think it comes back to you yeah. it always comes back to you yeah I think you follow that Max I don't I just you're sitting there um preparing some bit of wisdom for us I, I know but I've always noticed about you the people that you work with in particular like I'd like your entire firm in fact here you have more of a philosophy of involving people at every level is that true I think that's that's absolutely true yeah. and um, we, we we work on it every day it's uh, we've had opportunities to bring people into the firm that would have been profitable for us but we didn't think they'd they'd treat the staff with the same degree of respect that, that we do mm-hmm. um, I like getting to know people at every level, um, and it goes back to a mentor that I had, a guy named Bob Sullivan, who I think you probably met at some point. That I feel like I have at this point because you're talking yeah. about him a lot, which in right. a good way. So okay, right. <laughs> well, go ahead. Yeah. Well, Bob said, in order to become a good trial lawyer, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be trying to convince 12 people who you've never met before, who come from completely different walks of life, of something very important for your client. And those people are not going to come from your law school class or for even from your office building. They may be the person who's making the burrito for you down the street. They may be the person parking your car. Mm-hmm. You really need to get to know those people because, it, I mean, to know those people is to understand how they do your job. But I also take a lot of personal interest in, in getting to know people and meeting people as well. So, mm-hmm. so and, um, you know, that I know this because my brother worked for you for a while at, at, at your restaurant. So Chris's run restaurants in various incarnations many of them at a, uh, on route one and foxborough just less than a mile down the street from the stadium um and um you know your staff just they they loved working for you they really did is there is in all the the years you ran either that restaurant there i mean that's that you ran it was most recently christina's fireside grill it was uh, the funway cafe it, what was what was did you is there are there a couple moments that stick out to you like this like this is like why I love doing this so much because you hear time and time again the restaurant business is like the most thankless place to work so so <laughs> I think it's it's not the most thankless uh, I, I, honestly I think uh, what I tell young people who th- think about getting into this business mm-hmm. uh, it's hard yeah. be prepared to be on your feet for 
12 hour days. Uh, be prepared to give up your weekends, your holidays. When everyone else is having a good time, you're working. Uh, that's usually the way it is. You might have Mondays off. You're you working know. to make sure they have a good time. That's right. You're the one serving the food and everything. Yeah. But uh, in a weird way, it's also instant gratification. You know, you're not working on a six month project. You're, mm -hmm. You you put something on, you put it in front of them, and someone says, I really liked it, or I really didn't. Mm -hmm. and, and for a young person who might need that in, in terms of their lives, who does, hasn't had that experience, to have people say, wow, this is really good, you did a good job. It's a really big plus, I think, for, for people in this business. So it's a little masochistic. I mean, there, there is, it's literally, because we deal with, through our event business, we deal with every major restaurant in the city or every major chef in the city mm -hmm. who we ask to, volunteer their time and their food and their product and show up and give gift certificates and everything else. And I'm stunned by how uh, I think the hospitality business has the best people in the world in it. You may think it's the legal <laughs> profession. Others may think, no, seriously. But, I but, think, but still? Even abso after all these years. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I, I can't tell you the people I, I talked to. I just got off the phone with uh, Jeremy Sewell, the uh, chef owner of Rural 34 and uh, Island Creek Lineage, Oysters right? and Lineage. Lineage and, yeah. uh, and, just a guy, so he, Saturday night he cooked for the BSO. Mm -hmm. He was the guest chef nice. who did for yeah. 700 people at the BSO. <laughs> See? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, uh, Max, pour the water. Pour the water. Max, <laughs> Max he didn't want to pour himself water because it, it was hit. To go ahead, we'll get a really nice sound effect. This really is just water. Oh, you wouldn't believe how crisp I'm <laughs> Oh, you heard it too. Isn't that cool? All right. Save that sound effect. Jimmy, producer, save that sound effect. Just kidding. We don't have a producer. Right, um, I'm so sorry. I'm saying. I, I was just saying that. So he uh, uh, he had he had donated to an auction uh, himself. Uh, Row thirty four was a dining round for an auction we did a year ago, and they redeemed it Saturday night. So he had to make sure that this auction item was the people that I was sending to the restaurant, all gratis. Right. Uh, six of them on a Saturday night yeah. would have a complete meal and get well taken care of. He cooked for the BSO, and then today I'm talking to him about an event he's doing for me on the sixteenth of October, where he's cooking again, mm -hmm. and and I'm thinking. His, there's nobody busier than right. somebody like him with five restaurants. He's got a new one coming online, just opened one in Portsmouth. And yet he, he always manages to take the call, always manages to do the right thing for charities and nonprofits. It's stunning to me. You know, it's funny what you said about the, the, the restaurant business instant gratification. Not only that, it, it's instant redemption, too. If you have a bad day, you screw something up. You, you're, you're right back That's in the right. next day serving people. And that, rem that reminds me of your your dad's uh, your dad's profession, which was was writing for a newspaper, which I used to do. Which the one thing that was cool about it was you would only work for for me it was weekly for you know for um, your, your dad. In some cases, it was daily. You know, um, you get to see the fruits of your labor printed the next day with yes. your name on it. You know, and then you, people might love it, they might hate it. You know, but you get to see it. You, you feel like you contribute a little something to society. You know, well, you do, and you, yeah. we still hear about we still sure. hear from friends of ours like the great Joe Bolero and, and others who talk about your your articles, your columns, your editorials. Uh, in, in, in glowing ways. And some, some people still talk to me about my dad and his reviews. Sometimes they talk about, like, he's still writing restaurants. You know, I loved your father's review. <laughs> it's been dead, like, 30 years. Jeez, I thought I was better. I feel like I love what you wrote. I haven't, I haven't written since 2010. Oh, my goodness. Uh, anyway, we are. Uh, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to hear um, Chris's favorite restaurants in town. So you're going to get to hear. So make sure you stick around for that because I want to know where I should be going these days. Fine. Max, you're always a fan of fine dining at the Missus. Am I? Yeah, I think so. You're a man of culture, as far as everyone knows. Stick with us here on the Boston Podcast. See you. Hey, this is Chuck Hogan. I'm the author of The Town, and you're listening to the Boston Podcast.
Yes! What's up, everybody? We're back on the Boston Podcast talking to Chris Pinazzola, he of Clapazzola Partner? What do you call yourself? Yeah. Clapazzola Partners? Not a social disease, I Isn't say. So that was that before. That was the name of your your event planning and consulting company. It was sort of a running gag because um, so my aunt Marge, for those few people that care, uh, was born uh, my sainted uh, uh, aunt Margie O'Neill. She uh, her first husband clap root, and she stuck with that. And then I remember when she there was one election she lost, and somebody um, came up with a bumper sticker for the next one, which said Marjorie O'Neill Clapperud Spinazzola, really huge, and and so uh, but now Clapazzola. So um, and yeah, quickly, Chris, what what um, tell us? There's still relatively new venture. Some people maybe not have heard of it. Tell us uh, what you guys are all about. Uh, we're we're about doing special events. Uh, we're we're fortunate to choose our clients. I think as carefully as they choose us. So they're usually people we have a history with, mm-hmm. um, and we're usually brought in. One of two two things is happening. Either they have an annual event that has just become deadly, and, and you know it, it's dropping in attendance, and it's the classic rubber chicken right. thing that you have to go to, and it's too many speakers, and it's too many awards, and it goes on too long. So in, in turn, they start losing sponsorship and and attendance because people. People are just too busy these days. They can't. Mm-hmm. They can't devote that much of their lives to a six-hour event. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so we're brought in for a lot of big nonprofits uh, who do big events, like now you know five, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred pe- people dinner events. You and guys, we, you guys did the family service of Greater yeah. Boston last year, right? Yeah. Sure. I, 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 this, I didn't plan to do an infomercial for your business, but that was one of the most interesting events, and so much different than the typical rubber chicken. Thank you. In that um, it, it was entertaining from beginning to end. And then in the opposite corner of the ballroom, there was this band that Welcome was man. nuts. Yeah. It, it was just a great yeah. band. Um, it, it and people ended up jamming out. Absolutely. For, Dance for the floor, which you do not expect that. You go on a Friday night for you know for a charity fundraiser. Yeah. You don't expect something that spirited. It, it was awesome. Yeah, that before like for every, you know, each category, and then they all hold up the panel. So we're back on. The name of that band was, what was the name of that band? World Premiere Band. World Premiere Band. Yeah. We first like, saw them at Fonway Cafe. And yeah. and they and then they did the Spinozola event for me, and then... And they're kind of like rhythm and blues, yeah. funk, like, yeah. I mean, but they had everybody dancing. It was, it, like you said, Max, it was certainly not your typical charity event. So so this is what a glutton for punishment you are. You retired the, the Spinozola, annual Spinozola food and wine, Gala, which was, for my money, the biggest and most entertaining event in town. We'll talk about it in a minute. You retire that, and then um, then you run a restaurant. And now what you do is you run events that are everybody else's biggest nightmare. You take them on, they become your nightmare. So you're like nightmare man. Yeah, I, I, you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> I, know. I don't know why we do that. Yeah. Uh, and there are times when when you say, well, why do we do this? Yeah. Because <laughs> we're getting too old for that. Yeah. Um, but we're, um, yeah, we do. I, I think it's because... Uh, Events to some organizations, both for-profit and non-profit, uh, you know, they're, they're too busy. Like for the non-profits, they're too busy trying to fulfill their mission every day. Right. You know, so like we did an event Friday night for a homeless shelter for uh, women and children. It's got Brookview House in Dorchester. It's, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to tell their measurable results, uh, 88% of the women that are served by them go on to permanent housing. Right. 88%. I mean, that's yeah. stunning. Yeah. 92% of the kids in the program graduate from high school. And the na- national average is 25%. So uh, programs like that need to be shown to 
people of means. I think that's what Spinozola did sometimes. It was, it was a little bit like the Robin Hood Foundation in New York. You, you find people who love to eat and drink. That's what Spinozola did. Yeah. Great wine, great food, great restaurants, great celebrity, all that stuff. Uh, ordinarily would not give money to uh, the Grow Clinic at Boston Medical Center for malnourished kids. They wouldn't write a check directly. But they'll come to an event like that and write a big check and support what yeah. we do. So we're very fortunate. I think some people look at us. Um, uh, we had two or three people in the room the other night who made big donations in this auction uh, that we hadn't expected. Friends of ours who came because we asked them to come and fell in love with the program. Yeah. So I think we're just we're kind of the conduit to say, pay attention. Well, you guys look like you're having a great time. Yeah, we like do. When you put on a, an event, like I, I imagine that some party planners kind of retire to the background. That wouldn't work for you guys. You have your personalities. Are he too was much having a, a great part, he was part having, of the package. He was having a great time that night until he put a personal bid on. Well, that's that right. Was it Marky front, Mark Wahlberg? It wasn't Marky uh, Mark. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was the night the Mandarin. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but uh, there was a Wahlberg involved, wasn't there? Uh, no? Wahlberg did a dinner in his home. That was something different. Yeah. Oh, the night at the yeah. in your home. In our home. So he, right. Paul, Paul Wahlberg would come and cook hamburgers. So was the, uh, he does. He does. I've gone to two of them. Yeah. He does like six courses with wine. That, that Is that blow right? your mind. It's not him. Wow. Yeah, he's got Alma Nova, his restaurant. Hang on. Yes, it's good. Uh, it's really good. But to see him cook and do what he does, you talk about personal attention to detail. Man, he, he brings everything. He brings two staff people. You never, you, he brings his own plates, his own wine glasses. You don't do anything as the host except open your dining room and put it on the table. That sounds good. Nice. Yeah. Next Saturday, you're available? <laughs> Let's, Let's do, do that. Yeah. So, um, and, and his brother knows the Pope. So we t- yeah, and I'm <laughs> the um, so uh, the gala we've been talking about it for those that don't remember it, w- what it was was pretty much any prominent restaurant you can name would come and set up a food stand in the World Trade Center in Boston and uh, black tie affair. It wasn't cheap, but there was a reason why it wasn't cheap. It's because it's it was it was such a unique event. It's the only place you can do this. You go around and you get a sample that prepared by the the top chefs in, in town, and then you had all the wineries represented as well. Um, so you, you do the wine tasting as well. Uh, towards the, the last couple of years, you got real ambitious. You had uh, a beer room, which they were just pulling f- full pints of beer for any, you know, uh, all these beers being sampled. And did you have a cigar room yeah. too at one point? It was basically like decadence. And um, what, what I mean, you're talking about what makes a successful event, what makes people want to r- write a big check. It is, um, I mean, do you think that a lot of people who, who went probably... I mean, you hope by the time they leave, they get an idea of what the message was. A lot of people don't, though, right? They just no. think it's a great night, right? No, I, I think, <laughs> honest to God, I, I believe that most of the people had no idea where the money was going. Uh, and, and that's fine, you know, because, you know, we would do our program. We used to get really, our board would get very uptight because we couldn't corral enough people in front of the stage to really pay attention to. And I've run events like that. It's my pet peeve when, you, when you're trying to talk and not everybody's paying attention. It was impossible in yeah. that room. In no. that room, it's impossible. No, it's, 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 a, it's an airport hangar. 5,000 right? people. Right, yeah. Drinking and eating. I mean, yeah. at some point, you just give up the, the ghost and say it's not going to happen. Right. So we do the program for those who want to pay attention. Right. You can see all the information. You know, you put it in their faces. You do it on uh, your website and everything else in terms of where the money goes. But people don't. They tend not to pay attention. I think they knew two things. Uh, I think they knew from visually that it went to culinary education in some way, shape, or form because we had had a program at Madison Park High School of putting young inner-city kids to work in the best hotels and restaurants in the city um, and helping pay for that apprenticeship and then pay for their education in Bunker Hill community. They knew that there was culinary education involved. And they also knew that that, uh, we were dealing with uh, malnourished kids in the city or hunger relief programs. Um, and I, our board liked to do bricks and mortar. So if uh, St. Francis House, which is right downtown, 
You always see the lines of people going for breakfast and lunch. Uh, they needed a, a new kitchen uh, stove. Uh, the stove was like busted. Mm -hmm. And we brought in a brand new industrial kitchen stove. We were able to get a better deal because we had relationships with the, the vendors that did it. Um, and uh, it increased their ability to serve more homeless people. So that's what we, was, what we would do. We would do more uh, kitchen renovations, uh, grants to specific programs within it. We helped start the, uh, the uh, training program with the 99 restaurants at Pine, Pine Street, mm -hmm. uh, where they do food service training. They do catering now for other nonprofits. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, all those kind of things, I think, I think people got it a little bit, mm -hmm. but I think they really wanted to say, Oh, look at this, Todd English serving over there. This Lydia Shire serving over there. And behind every winery table was either the vineyard owner or the winemaker. So if you were, were somebody who loved wine and you wanted to talk to Jordan about the Jordan wines from California, one of the Jordan family was pouring wine at the table. It was just a very unique experience. Mm -hmm. It must have been a terrible night to go out to dinner any place in the city. Uh, <laughs> you know, all, people all the chefs. But, uh, chefs yeah. but don't forget, we did it in February. Yeah. Um, which was, uh, it was kind of that midwinter break when right. people were so sick of being in the house, you know. Um, and yeah, restaurants uh, talked about that. We were up to, in 2007, uh, 130 restaurants from across New England uh, and 100 wineries. Uh, about 5,000 people black tie. Uh, we had the BSO, I mean, the Boston Pops was our, uh, as Marge called it, the house band. Uh, uh, and we were very, very fortunate that everyone donated all that product. Sure. And, and we had hotels donate hotel rooms for the vintners coming in for California. Situations change dramatically these days. That would not happen, you know. Two oh, things, because oh, oh. in February, it's not what it used to be in Boston. Um, you know, we first started talking about perhaps bringing back Spinozola, and we looked at uh, all the big, you had three, maybe three major sites you could do a, an event that big. Mm -hmm. Nobody had dates in the first quarter. There were major shows every first quarter. Boston's changed. July and August used to be deadly in the city. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you, but if you were around the city in July and August, there were throngs of people. Yeah, I think they had the, big, the biggest single year of tourism has ever happened. I think it was just past summer wow. in the city of Boston. So You can tell it's all tourists, but yes, it is. It, it, I, we've mentioned that before, just walk, this, uh, uh, July walking around. And I'm always hoping for that one day when you drive in with no traffic. And it, this summer, it, 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 it got worse than ever, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It so so it's great for the restaurant business, though, and, and you can tell by the proliferation of of restaurants that is open. It feels like they're opening every day. I can't keep up with all the new ones. But uh, it's happening, and they're being supported. So people are going out. So I, I, it's, it's, it's a, a unique happening, but it's, I think it's good for the city. So you're, you're kicking around the idea of bringing it back? Yeah, you know, so we, you're saying there's a chance? You know, there's a chance. There's yeah. a chance. <laughs> um, we were, uh, again, very similar to what you said. Why would you ever want to go? Because yeah. the logistical nightmare of planning that much activity for that many people was... It's just phenomenal, and we didn't have a big staff, uh, and it was a lot of personal attention sure. uh, given to the event and to, the, and to everyone that came to the event. So I think uh, we had no plans. Uh, when we stopped in 2007, it was because Marge had the, um, her bone marrow transplant. Sure. And we, there was a lot going on in our play. We had to make a decision. Uh, we gave away whatever money we had remaining and, and decided that, hey, listen, we've done it for 22 years. We've done some good stuff, and we'll move on. And... and uh, I think, I think that was the right decision at the time. Has I mean, it been replaced at all? Is there, no, it's just a vacuum? Still nothing like it. No, there isn't. And, and I, I think what happened, we, we moved back into Boston about two and a half years ago, and we started going, you know, things we couldn't do when we lived outside the city because you didn't want to drive two hours and drive right. two hours home, right? So we started going back to restaurants and restaurant openings and, and, and seeing some of the people we hadn't seen for a while, doing more events in the city. And we had, uh, what was shocking to me uh, was more restaurant people 
young chefs coming to me saying, why don't you just bring it back? Let's just do one big reunion. Let's do something fun. And, and let's look. there's nothing that replaced it because it wasn't, it was their event. That's the way they felt about it. It wasn't an event they were going to do, cook for somebody. It was their event. Spinozola was where they showcased right. the city to like visiting chefs from around the country that used to come in for that event. Yeah, people and, took and a lot of pride in it. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was a win-win for everyone. But you think, think about what the restaurants get a chance to, I mean, I imagine they must have had, each restaurant must have had played quite the planning process to what they were going to serve that night, right? It became I mean, like a very informal competition. Yeah. And, and what, what year was it that you started? Uh, 1986 was the first one. It was like, oh, really? It was at BU. So was, that was about the time when, what was it, GQ came out with that article, The Boston Glob? Yes. Yeah. Remember we, that? Uh, where where uh, highly critical of the Boston restaurant scene? Chris was quoting that article. Uh, I remember uh, what you said. You? Yeah. Uh, I, the, can I, can I yeah. guess? Because you'll know, but let's see if I remember it correctly. It was it was a lot about how New York had, it was like, wasn't even, Boston wasn't even the same league as other cities when it came to the restaurant business and and doesn't didn't have the history and your quote was have you ever heard of julia child <laughs> right didn't you say that was that that article i think it was it okay. was that because okay. we actually had a meeting with every major restaurant chef yeah. at Bieber. remember okay. Bieber on oh, sure. lydia, lydia yeah. hosted a meeting because every the chefs were living <laughs> you know these that's so funny it's like it's like when the, when there's going to be a war in the mafia yeah. all the captains have to get together yeah. to talk about so like all this all the time so get all the heads of the restaurants and it was trying to yeah. figure out which way is the best way to react to this and you know and i think they all decided you know what so be it we just gotta we gotta the way it came out of the meeting was we'll just buckle down and we'll work a little harder and we're gonna we're gonna show people what what's happened to the city i i still think it's a great a much better restaurant city than it was even 10 years ago it was ten years ago. It was a tremendous change from where it was twenty years before that. Mm -hmm. So, and now I think it's it's really becoming top notch. And I, I I'm seeing more Boston chefs go to New York and open restaurants. And a lot of New York chefs come to Boston. So you have Oya who opened up in in uh, Manhattan, and you have Toro uh, who had gone there. Davios has Ken, gone. Ken Oranger yeah. is uh, what, what, Jamie Bissonette. Yeah, They're, they opened up in New York to great reviews, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then you have coming back this way. You have Mario Batali opening in Seaport. Uh, you have uh, David Burke rumored to open another New York chef here in Boston somewhere. You have the new Millennium Towers is going to feature Michael Mina, who's a San Francisco chef. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I, love, I love Michael Mina. Uh, yeah. He so wait, slow down. Where's the, where's the Millennium Towers? That, what, Next uh, to the uh, Downtown Crossing. Okay. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't heard that. That's yeah. amazing. And it's going to be, I don't think it's even going to be a restaurant. I think it's going to be their in-house dining option is going oh to be Michael gosh. Mina. Mm. Their lobster pot pie. Yeah. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell you a, great, a real great story. First grand benefit dinner. So we did Spinozola for eight years, seven years, whatever it was. So '86 to we moved it to the World Trade Center in '92. So it was like '93, '94. There was a great chef from D.C. His name was Jean Louis Paladin, who was a crazy Frenchman, the best partying chef I've ever hung around with. <laughs> I mean, he could party, uh, stamina like you didn't couldn't believe. And we, we he came as a visiting chef. Didn't have, basically showed up for the night night before. We did like a little informal cocktail party and then they came to the event and they schmoozed, they worked with some of the students we had. Um, we were going down in the elevator from an after party at the Bay Tower Room when it was the Bay Tower Room. Mm -hmm. and, and he says, you know, we don't do enough hard work for you when we come. We should do a dinner, just the visiting chefs the night before for like 100 people and charge an outrageous amount of money. So I said, oh, okay. Well, night before, sure, let me throw that one out there. We'll get, now we'll do a dinner the night before, right? <laughs> So we went to the. We were looking for a venue. That's simple. Yeah. yeah. We couldn't. We we couldn't choose like any of the hotels because they all supported us really well. So we had to find a venue that was kind of non, 
uh, politically correct for us. It would be politically right. correct. Switzerland, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't go to the Four Seasons. I couldn't go to the, uh, you know, at that time it was the it wasn't the Langham, it was the Meridian. I mean, they all supported us. So we went uh, to the Inn at Harvard, and uh, our production person, Estelle McDonald, just made this phenomenal setting in a room that was just like their lobby, right? And Michael Mina was that first dinner, and the first course, uh, second course, uh, was the lobster pot pie, right? Deconstructed. Yeah. He, this is how they did it, though. He said to me, can you trust me just to do it the way I want to do it? And I said, sure. So the 150 people, not even 130 people, all the visiting chefs, six, six of them, so Jean-Louis Paladin, Michael Mina, uh, Daniel Ballou, uh, you know, the biggest names in the country, yeah. came out of the kitchen together, and they served individually each lobster pot pie, and Michael cut the top off each one, flipped it, the top over, and then poured the lobster and meat all over it yeah. on the plate. It was the most unbelievable, startling presentation, but what a... You talk about instant gratification, right, for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were watching people oh, just go, yeah. oh, my God, this is the most amazing food I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Well, that's like the World Series for yeah. them, you know, like like basically coming up to the plate, the World Series. So, all right, so you already touched upon a couple, but give us maybe two or three more restaurants uh, that you're digging these days that... Uh, and um, it may be hard to choose for you because I know you and Marge are living the dream now of, of living up on uh, Beacon Hill, wherever you <laughs> yeah. are, the West End, actually. Uh, but um, yeah, so, so give us a couple. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of uh, neighborhood places that we love. You know, if you can walk to it and be there, I'm probably going to go there tonight and meet her for dinner. It's Tip Tap. I don't know if you've ever been there. Oh, sure, Cambridge. yeah. Uh, Brian Poe. Uh, where's, t- where's Tip Tap? Right it's on Cambridge, Cambridge and right, right to, uh, where the main building for Suffolk started. Like uh, it's, it used uh, to be the Hill Tavern. Is that the no? Same it used place? to be a uh, Chinese restaurant. It's, it's right. It, it's, I think it's around the same block as the Red. Yeah. with the Red Hat. Yeah, there, just the, down the, the street old, from the Red Hat. Pub Red oh, Hat. Oh, yeah, I got it. Right yes, there. yes. Yeah. Nice spot. Really nice, nice spot. Yeah. And, that, really well. and that's um, that's casual. I mean, that's not that's not crazy no, fancy. No, right? no, yeah, no, it's real it's casual. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. he's got a really booming bar business. He's got a great beer selection. He does weird stuff like antelope burgers and. Uh, you know, uh, he, he finds these really exotic things. He likes to experiment a little bit with the cooking process. Young guy, started at the Blend Bostonian. Okay. That's where he was the last <laughs> chef before they closed that restaurant. Was he the doorman? No, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. And uh, uh, he also, uh, uh, he was one of the guys that came to me and said, you got to bring this back, the event back, because he said he got his greatest business class ever in the restaurant business, sitting in the back of Spinozola mm-hmm. as the event was winding down with Todd English, mm-hmm. Ming Tsai, Lydia Shire, and Jasper White drinking bottles of beer and them telling him everything he, he shouldn't do in the restaurant wow. business and everything he said. Come on. And, and he felt that that's what was missing in, in Boston now. There wasn't that collegial, because yeah. everybody was moving too quick and they didn't have a chance to see each other and connect. But Tip Tap is one of them. Tip You know, it have been a West End Johnny's? Yes. John Karen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah John. Yeah. See, everybody. <laughs> I told you he did. He's, uh, he's trying to be home. Uh, he's got a. a, a he can drop a lot of names in a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a he's got a cell phone list like you can't believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, he's also he, got a drum set in his basement, which he's let me play on yeah. occasion when when no, nobody else is down there. Uh, he's got uh, the, one of the best Sunday brunches I've ever been to. It's yeah. a reggae brunch. Uh, the food is second to none in the city. I really think he does a nice job. And so, does it? Is it what it sounds like? More of a, a like a fancy diner kind no, of place? It's like a no? sports bar kind of place. Oh, okay. I mean, it's re- he's got really good food and, and really good staff, and it makes it makes a whole difference in the world to me. Uh, last night we went to we went to uh, we went to see uh, Book of Mormons, 
and we stopped at Teatro, and I hadn't been there in, in a couple of years. I don't know if you've been there recently. I like Teatro. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so we, Col- ate, we ate at the bar. Oh, the Columbus Crew. Yeah. Uh, Columbus Crew. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Milano. Yeah. Um, and we had, so we had the bar, and we had one of the nicest pre-theater meals. You know, again, uh, Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock, he's packed. And uh, we got the place is a little small on the small side. Yeah. I wish it were bigger, but yeah, I've been there. And it's that good. whole group that's probably the most approachable, uh, price wise. Yeah, but it's, it's very, very good. Well, Moo is yeah. on the other on the other right. end of that. Sorely, Sorely Sorely Anthony is yeah. a bartender, Mike. right? Um, he's got Mistral. Mistral, which has always been still remains one of my favorite, most I think one of the most consistent restaurants in the city. Um, uh, I love what's happening in Seaport, I love Row 34. I mean, oysters and beers, if you want to go anywhere in the city and feel that energy, go up the street to Tavern Road and see Louis de Vicari and see yeah. one one of the best people I've ever met in this business. Around oh, yeah, the corner, Tavern yeah. yeah, Tavern Road. But charcuterie, like you can't believe. Yeah. And uh, Road 34, by the way, just to, to stop on that for a second, has an incredible beer program. Oh. Just amazing. What's her name? Is it Megan who runs yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's Megan. Yeah, she, uh, they just do an incredible job with the beer selection. Ta- Tavern Road is where um, Marlo. We, yeah, you had, our, a, you had an event there. Right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, our, our mutual friend Marlo Fogelman. Free plug for you, Marlo. Um, is uh, PR. She's got. She, yeah, she does PR for a lot of the restaurants, including uh, Tavern Road, and she's she's uh, she also does the new uh, Envoy Hotel there. So we're gonna take our gang up there a couple. And, weeks. and there's no place I'd like more, I think, than uh, walking down the street to Scampo. Lydia shot to me continually. Continue. I mean, it, I, I can't recall ever having anything that wasn't outrageously good there. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I, you know, for me, it's always about uh, hospitality in general, service, knowing your name. Uh, yeah. We left. We left after the theater last night. Went to the Four Seasons to the Bristol Lounge to have a, like an after uh, thing. And that does not get old. No. Yeah. Of course, it's because I met Al Michaels in the Bristol Lounge. That's why I, I met Shaq O'Neill. Did so, you really? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I was there two weeks ago. All right. And Let's ran to uh... get the vacuum cleaner. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> floor is littered with names having been dropped. Um, so, um, and what's Lady Shire's place that you like that in the basement there? Isn't that Lady Shire's place? No. Who am I, what am I thinking of? And um, you know, talking about Barbara Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, Lynch. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, Park. you got uh, on that stretch. You've got Sportello, Monton, and uh, Drink. Drink is the one where I fell off the bar stool that night. And you, you, you la- <laughs> That's right. You laughed about it for like a week. Sure. Yeah. It was spectacular. It was absolutely spectacular. I wasn't that drunk. I, I, he wasn't I, even, he wasn't I even this, that drunk. I did, it's, true. it's true. Come on. I did that thing where I was like leaning back thinking the bent, the, uh, the, was the, the whole stool was going to be there. And I was off by enough that it, I just kind of kept going. You, you should have seen the dirty looks that we got though. Oh, yeah. yeah. When you fall down in a place like that, they assume you need to be escorted out. Remarkably, they let me stay. So, um, Chris, we don't want to keep you here all afternoon, but um, I did want to mention that um, um, I'm always impressed by who you have on speed dial, and it could be um, because of your, all your work in, in charity and with the, the restaurant down the street from Gillette Stadium. You, you, one moment you could be talking to Ray Bork, uh, Dwight Evans, Teddy Bruschi. Can you tell the story about how you recently were in touch with Bruschi about this deflate gate thing? I don't yeah. Think I yeah. Yeah, I don't think What happened? Yeah. No, uh, uh, I was I went to Robin Ford to, for an oil change. I had to be down in that area, or whatever. Went for an oil change. I sat in the uh, little waiting room, and he's on ESPN when he went off that afternoon on on after the judge's ruling, and he went off on the commissioner and right. every. I mean, he just, I think predictably he, Teddy is is a fervent craft uh, and Patriots backer, but yeah, but but and he, but he does it pretty well. It's pretty well spoken. I think. Oh, I, I think he's I think yeah. he's very well spoken in everything he yeah. he does. But he. Uh, 
So I, I kind of watched the whole thing, and my car was ready, and I still wanted to see the end of it, and I watched it, and then I left. And I got home that night, I, I, I texted him and said, hey, I just got to tell you, uh, I had a, like one of those days like where you, you're stuck in traffic, you got to go get an oil change. And the best part of my day was being stuck in the waiting room watching you go off on Deflategate. <laughs> and he writes back, thanks, Spinny. That's what he called you. He goes, thanks, Spinny. He says, uh, I, felt, I felt really good for TB. That was his like, thing. And I said, my wife caught some of this, too. And she said, you ought to run for office. He goes, he wrote back, he goes, that's the third thing, the third time that's someone a, told me that today. Really? I said, well, we're going to start a draft a brewski movement. Okay. <laughs> so he, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a special guy. He, yeah. He wouldn't lose if he ran around here. Come on, you're not gonna. No, no, dude, you're not gonna. You're not gonna vote against Brewski, are you? Um, who of all the of all the celebrities around here in town that you've you've brushed elbows with? Is there anyone you can uh, pick out that you enjoyed the most and that turned out to be, um, you know, just uh, super nice when you might expect that they would be, you know, haughty and all that. Besides, and, and, and exclude podcast hosts from right, this. right. Just, just, just people. Anyway. Yeah, you guys yeah. are like real, yeah. the real deal, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's amazing with these pictures of you up here on the walls and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, the uh, two, and they're both hockey players, uh, Bobby Orr uh, mm-hmm. and, and Ray Bork. Uh, I can't tell you that um, uh, Bobby Orr to me uh, is one of the most down-to-earth, um, low, I, I, you know, he, he was one of those guys that I met that I felt like uh, like kid. You know, meeting Bobby Orr, and I as as nearly everyone would who followed the Bruins. Yeah. I mean, he he walks in in you know heavenly circles. I mean, that that guy is. Yeah. I don't know anybody has ever said a bad word about about Bobby. Orr. I yeah. th- I I just can't tell you how uh, how real he is. But uh, and then Ray Bork uh, to me is is right up there on the same par. I, I remember going back. Ray was chairman of our golf tournament for years for Spinozola. Uh, and two things that stand out in my mind. One was going to meet him after a game. Montreal was playing them in the garden, and um, I met his wife, Christiane, and we were going out after the game for a drink just to talk about, you know, the upcoming tournament, donors, and all this other stuff. And uh, he left the locker room, and he had to walk, say, 100 feet to where Christian and I were standing. Mm-hmm. And there must have been, to me, it seemed like 2,000 people standing on either side. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kids in wheelchairs and older people and young kids and obviously ill children and yeah. whatever. He signed every autograph. Oh my God. It was like it took him an hour to get a hundred feet. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. and I said to Christiane, I said, "Does this happen after every game?" She said, "You should see what happens in Canada." <laughs> right. Where it's, it's, a, it's, it's even more. Deity. And, he, yeah. and, he, and he constantly did that. And, and he's 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 one of those people that you felt, you know, you feel you feel like you're lucky to know, and you don't you don't expect people like that to take the time to do the right thing to be, you know, very very. Uh, very down to earth or very real or um, when you're asking him for stuff too all the time you ask him to show up at a charity event he's shown up for BMC for, to golf uh, and that's like five or six hours out of his day that he doesn't need to do and he's not getting paid for so that's a good one I got to meet him thanks to you and he was hanging out at your um, Cape House one day and it produced one of my great stories was so I used to room with the uh, this guy Waldo. You remember my buddy yeah. Waldo, right? So he's uh, Waldo. Shout out to you. He's doing great work. Waldman Plumbing and Heating up on the North Shore, everybody. <laughs> um, but uh, so and but his whole life was hockey and just the biggest Bruins fan in the world. And we're driving and I and one day it's like, hey, you want to go down uh, the Cape? It's a nice day. You know, we'll just spend the day. My uh, Marge and Chris won't mind if we, you know, uh, stop at their house and use their beach. He's like, yeah, well, we're not doing anything. Sure, let's go. We drive down. 
I don't know remember what time of year it was, but we were talking about hockey. We were talking about Ray Bork. He goes, yeah, dude, that, oh my god, how classy is that guy? The great, and like he just he he used to set up my buddy Waldo a shrine to Ray Bork <laughs> during during playoff season, like with a jersey and a and a mug and whatever else it was. So we it, and, and it was it was amazing. It was almost it was on cue. We get out of the car and we get out and and Marge, your <laughs> wife Chris, is standing there. She goes, guys, come on. We got a little food. You guys come make yourself at home. And by the way, Ray Bork might stop by later. And Waldo turns around, looks right at me, and goes, very funny, yes, very funny. And I go, what? I don't, I don't, Waldo, I don't know anything about this. And I and it, it seemed like I was lying, but and 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 then you came out. It's like no, he's really is coming. That you know we, we know him from the golf tournament. And he, he, I mean, it was like, he, it was his moment of, of like, um, what, enlightenment. Like, he, all of a sudden, he, 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 the, the sky, the heavens opened up. He was about to meet Ray Bork. And he sat on, on, on your porch and just shot the breeze with Ray for, and it was, I guarantee you will never forget that. So, not as good as the, you know, the kid with cancer. But, you know, uh, my buddy Waldo will never forget that. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And he, he absolutely hung out as if it was, you know, he was sitting there as if it was no big deal. So, we, so. we, 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 we uh, just to follow up the last yeah. thing I'm saying about sports, it's about impact. Like you said, you don't, you have no idea the kind of stuff yeah. that happens to somebody, and they say, "Wow, that, that, I, I'll remember that always." Last night when we went to the restaurant, we sat and we we weren't really starving. We were just you know we were just one of the after dinner something to pick on, yeah. and we, and the waiter knows us and said, uh, "Let me go take with the chef and see what he wants to do." About ten minutes later, the chef comes walking out of the kitchen, young kid. Uh, and he's all dressed in the whites and whatever, mm. and he's got a terrine of foie gras and and uh, you know it's like a it's like a sample plate of you know pickled onions and um, it was it was it was beautiful and gorgeous, and he puts it down and he goes, you, "Do you know who I am?" And I said, "Yeah, I mean I'm looking at you. I, you look really familiar." He said, uh, "I was in your I was your last Spinozola apprentice in 2007." No way! Oh, wow. He said and. Uh, you guys funded me a full boat at Johnson & Wales. Oh, my goodness. God. I'm 26 wow. years old. Uh, I just left post-390, and I'm the sous chef here at the Bristol Lounge in the Four Seasons. How That's great crazy. is that? Major night. Oh, my God. It it's, it's so great. that. Well, how did he know that you were there? Because the way he knew me, he said, okay. you know, you know uh, <laughs> the out here, can, That's can you awesome. find something to make him? Yeah. And he said, find something to make him? I'm going to come out and bring it myself. That's oh, great. man. That's okay. great. Okay. So so what we're going to run, uh, Chris... Thank you. Thanks for spending all the time with us. And the stories were awesome. Where can we find... Uh, we go online at clapazolapartners.com? Yep. What, what is it? Clapazola.com. Clapazola.com. Yeah. And um, so you got to have the right event, right? I mean, you're looking for a certain size, but that, that big fun, annual fundraiser, the people that, that becomes the bane of your existence, you guys take it over, essentially, and you... you Try to take all the headaches, go away. Right. So that the, the event, the, uh, the people who are running the organization... Get to do what they should do at an event, which is your hair wasn't always this great, no, by no, the way. No. Yeah, it's, well, it can't has, get much better. That's more to do with your aunt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what? Um, that's going to do it for this edition of the Boston Podcast. Look for all of our past episodes at thebostonpodcast.com. My thanks to our entire staff here at the Boston Podcast. <laughs> I want to make sure I thank all the little people. Jimmy, Frankie, Susie, thank you. And Max Perlman, of course, of Perth Roberts. Max, final words of uh, wisdom? Uh, it just happened to be included. You were, you were, as usual, included, and you made use of the small amount of time that I allowed Thanks you to speak. Thanks for letting speak. me talk. For, there you go. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Thanks for being <laughs> 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 Enjoy, everybody. See you next time.